Karen. Brilliant stuff. Okay. So, around about this time of year, every year, uh, September kind of time, we, well, we say we're kind of revisiting our vision and mission. Um, that's not kind of taking apart various vision statements uh, that we may have put together. But it's really, I see it just as kind of taking the pulse, a finger on the pulse of what do we think God's saying to us? What should be important to us? We tend to work on an academic year, so for many of us it feels like the kind of start of the academic year. So we're doing that now. And uh, I have been drawn to a particular passage which we'll come to. And uh, if this sermon has to have a title, it's, I've called it the kind of lost ark question mark. The lost ark question mark. And let me just pray before we get into this. Yeah, so Lord, I just ask that you would quieten our hearts now. Lord, I don't know how encouraging it is to us that this act we're about to undertake now is in Scripture called the foolishness of preaching. But we believe there is a living God who has left us with his word, anoints it, and applies it to our heart. That it would center us in our lives. That walking with you, obeying you, would be way, way more important than anything else going on for us. And so I'm asking, Lord, that you would use the foolishness of preaching now and that we would see again your word really is your word. We can trust it, we can stand on it, we can build our lives on it. So let your word be fruitful among us to the glory of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. So I wonder, have we got the um, PowerPoint there, James? Thanks. I wonder how many of you remember this. Yeah? This film was probably out, what, 20 years ago? 42 years ago. 42. When I was watching movies uh, back in the 70s, that's right, or the 80s, the equivalent of that was movies, I'd have been watching movies from the 40s. Do you follow? 40 years ago, this movie was out. However, Indiana, Harrison Ford, is, well, he's not quite going strong, is he? But he's still going. He's still going. He's just brought a recent one out, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Has anyone seen it? You have, Lindy. I mean, he must be old in that, isn't he? He can't be jumping off trains and all the rest of it, can he? Anyway, this was the first one. Oh, so good. Such an action film. Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark. The story is the Ark of the Covenant, that gold-plated box that marched before the armies of Israel. The Nazis are after that under the impression that if they can secure the Ark of the Covenant, so they will have supernatural power as they seek to march across the world. Actually, the, the Nazis did have quite an occult supernatural interest. They really did seek power from the supernatural. So they're looking to manipulate 
the Ark of the Covenant, this box that was so central in Israel's worship. And one of the characters in that, as Indy's about to go searching for the Ark, says, it's not something to be taken lightly, Indy. No one knows its secrets. It's like nothing you've ever gone after before. So this Ark of the Covenant is based on the scriptural phenomenon of the Ark. And like I said, I've been drawn to the Ark of the Covenant as we revisit our vision and mission, and hopefully I'll begin to explain that. The Ark of the Covenant certainly had a fascination for David. And this is the passage we're going to focus on over the next few weeks and unpack it for us. This is 1 Chronicles 13. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to turn to that. And the context here is this ark that was in the center of the temple, again, I'll say a bit about that in a minute, uh, has been on a journey. It was lost to Israel and it was taken by the Philistines. So, but the thing is, they didn't know what they were getting themselves into. And the ark, if you like, God of the Ark of the Covenant takes on the Philistine God, Dagon, and the statue of Dagon in the temple of Dagon falls at the face of the ark and shatters. And so the Philistines say, we can't keep this ark here. It's too much for us. And they send it back to Israel and it ends up at the house of Abinadab. And then years later, this is what happens. David has become king now. He's taken Jerusalem And he's starting to put things in place to secure his reign. And it says, David conferred with each of his officers, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. He then said to the whole assembly of Israel, if it seems good to you and if it is the will of the Lord our God, let us send word far and wide to the rest of our people throughout the territories of Israel and also to the priests and Levites who are with them in their towns and pasture lands to come and join us. Let us bring back the ark of our God to us. For we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. The whole assembly agreed to do this because it seemed right to all the people. So David assembled all Israel from the river Shihor in Egypt to Lebo Hammer to bring the ark of God from Kiriath-Jerim. David and all Israel went to Bala of Judah to bring up from there the ark of God the Lord who is enthroned between the cherubim, angel-like figures uh, on the top of this ark. The ark that is called by the name. And I want to ask the question, is in some way there a lost ark out there for us? Is there an ark we are to go after? It may be we're not to treat it lightly, and it may be, full of secrets. It may be mysterious, but are we to go after this? So what was this ark? We read about its uh, making in Exodus 25. God says, let them make an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, a cubit and a half wide, and a cubit and a half high. Uh, That's about four foot by two foot by two foot. So it's not big. Overlay it with pure gold, both inside and out, and make a gold molding around it. Cast four gold rings for it and fasten them to its four feet with two rings on one side and two rings on the other. Then make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. 
insert the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry it. The poles are to remain in the rings of this ark. They are not to be removed. And that's quite important later in the story, as we'll see next week. Then put the, in the ark the tablets of the covenant law, which I will give you. So essentially, this ark is a highly decorative box, gold-plated, cherubim on top, poles on it. So why is this significant? It was placed at the center first of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting that the Israelites took around them in the desert, and then in the temple. But what was its significance? David has just come to the throne. His own rule is insecure in Israel. He's got threats from outside of Israel. Surely there are better things for him to worry about than this gold box that was contained in the center of the temple. What are we primarily concerned with? Is our life with God our primary concern or have we better things to worry about? Are there things crowding in on you, pressures, things happening in your life that you can't quite work out? David had surely had better things to worry about, yet what he says is, I want to go and get this ark. Well, why was that? What's its significance? Well, let's see if there's not a few lessons here for us, shall we? Firstly, you see, the ark was a nucleus in Israel. We have uh, our niece staying with us at the moment, who is a scientist. And she did try and explain to me the role of the nucleus in I think it's an atom. It's at the center of an atom, which shows how far I'm going, doesn't it, really? For those of you scientists, like roll of the eyes. Okay, a nucleus in the center of an atom there, and the nucleus does something in the center of the atom. Okay, but the point, I don't know what, by the way, that was a coveral statement. But here's the point. The nucleus was right at the heart of things. And so the Ark of the Covenant was right at the heart of things in the life of Israel. I wonder what you think is at the center of our national life. Is it, is it this place? Is it the city? What's at the center? What really shapes the life of the USA? Is it the White House? I want to argue for us that just as with Israel, the center of national life was a spiritual place, so the center of our national life is a spiritual place. You see, the ark was at the center of the Holy of Holies in the temple. The temple, meanwhile, was, I don't mean the geographical center, but at the heart of it. The Holy of Holies, meanwhile, was at the center of the temple. Meanwhile, the temple was at the center of the life of Jerusalem. And the life of Jerusalem, so Jerusalem, so the nation, Jerusalem dictated the heart and the life of Israel. So at the center of the life of Israel was this Ark of the Covenant. Somehow this was right at the center of things. Well, how would that be? It's a box. It's a gold-plated box, an ornate box. But how was that the case? It still is the case that the condition of the nation is shaped by its spiritual condition. It's not Brexit. 
We think Brexit. Oh, we think Brexit shaped the life of the nation over the recent years. We think a new government's going to shape the life. It's the spiritual condition of our nation that dictates how our nation goes. Well, why was this in Israel? Well, God dwelt above the ark. That's where God presenced himself. Carrying on in Exodus 25, it says this, There above the cover between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the covenant law, says God, I will meet with you there and give you all my commands for the Israelites. This is where God chose to present himself. This is where God met with his people. Now, strictly, actually, it was the priest, high priest, who went in only once a year did the high priest go into the Holy of Holies. But in that whole environment of the Holy of Holies and the temple, that is where the people came to meet with God. Where, when, how do you and I meet with God? There's a prior question, of course. Do we know what it is to meet with God? Or have we got better things to be getting on with? How does that happen? You understand, I'm not asking, do you have a, a chair or a sofa somewhere or on your bed or whatever it is, or walking in the, the wood or whatever, although that helps. I'm asking, is there a place where we know what it is? Is there a process? Is there something we're about where we know what it is to meet with God. I want to say to you, brother, sister, just like Israel's the state of the nation was shaped by its spiritual condition, your and my life will be shaped by the extent to which you and I meet with God and hear from him and seek to obey what he tells us to do. So vital. This is right at the heart. This is why I think it does tie in with our vision and mission. This. this is right at the heart of our discipleship. As disciples, we are to have, above everything else, a vital living relationship with the living God. Two hours, if I can put it like this, nicely, two hours on a Sunday morning won't do it. Not when you're going out into a world that knows very little of God, and more than that, is seeking to oppose his ways. We have to commune with him, be communing with him day in, day out. Now, I know that's tough. I'm not saying, you know, we're going to glide across life, you know, three foot above the ground because it's all going swimmingly. But we need to be seeking him to meet with him. And what we see in the story of Israel is, as long as Israel tended to this relationship, to meeting with God, to his presence, it knew his favor and protection. I, get it, I sense in my spirit, some of you are going through stuff right now, and here's the solution right here. Get into his presence. Come back to him. Seek him. It may be really difficult at first. There may be nothing happening. You may have you know, not been with God for a wee while, and you go, well, what does that look like? I've, I've got two things. I'd really encourage you, 
look to read your Bible and just come to it and go, don't, I'm not saying study it, although do that as well. I'm saying just come and just say, God, I believe this is your word. They're telling me this is your word. Would you speak to me through it? Somehow, just speak to me. Come humbly like that. Read your Bible, pray. Just talk to him. Talk to him. Whatever it looks like for you, wherever it is, read your Bible, pray, is a starting point. I'm not saying that's the whole solution, but it's not a bad start. But this is right at the heart of our lives. So we're called to tend to this presence, and we will know favor and protection if we do, if we meet with him, hear from him, and obey what he says. Look at the measure. Look at how Israel saw the presence of God among them. How powerful they saw that. So this is talking about when the ark is made, the tent. They make two trumpets to sound when Israel's to move out. And this is what it says right at the end of that description in Numbers 10. Whenever the ark set out, Moses said, rise up, Lord. May your enemies be scattered. Whenever the ark set out, rise up, Lord. It's like God has so connected himself with this place. May your enemies be scattered. May your foes flee before you because you're on the move. Whenever it came to rest, he said, return, Lord, the countless thousands of Israel. Commentators say what that's saying at the end there is, return, Lord, you yourself are the armies of Israel. You are the one that we need. Forget what we've got in the way of weaponry. Forget what our defense budget is. God, we need you to move. How many of you know that to be the case? Even in your life now, you're facing, you don't have to put your hand up. You're facing something right now. You need God to be the countless thousands of Israel himself. You need him to be your mighty one, the Lord of hosts. You want him to be that right now. Let me tell you this. We certainly need him to be that on behalf of the church. God, would you move? Come against our enemies. Come against enemies in our society. Come against the lies that are being spun against our children. Come against the dark places in our town, in our town. Come against the dark places. Lord, rise up. May your enemies be scattered, Lord. May your foes flee before you in rugby. Come on. Whenever it came to rest, return, Lord. Come back to us. We need this. We need to meet with you in this place and week by week and day by day in our own place. We need to meet with you. So come back to us. Let us know you're with us. So God himself ties himself to the ark. It was tied to his name. It was tied to his name. What does that mean? It says in verse 6 of uh, 1 Chronicles there, the ark that is called by my name. God made his name and the ark integral. In fact, God, interestingly, also links his name to the temple, the temple that will bear my name. He links his name to Jerusalem, the city that will bear my name. And he links his name, listen to this, to Israel, a people who will bear my name. Well, what does that mean? What does it, what does it mean that we bear the name of God? Well, firstly, it means this. The fact that we bear God's name should shape our identity. You know, a family name is a big part of our identity. This is the ark, is the ark of the covenant. So Israel was a covenant people. 
They were bound by blood to God. That should shape their identity. And so with us. Our primary identity should be in the fact that we are God's people who bear his name. Listen, brother, sister, don't let the world shape your identity. Don't let the world be telling you what you should be like, what you should be about. But let the fact you are a child of God who is seeking to listen and understand his word to you, and you're going to live by that. Let that shape who you are. Do any of us know, I do, do any of us know what it is to clamor and strive at identity in other stuff? It's not good, is it? So it firstly shaped their identity. Secondly, it granted authority. It's not what you know, it's who you know. The fact we know God opens doors for us, gives us authority. I remember hearing Richard Buse, who was um, the leader, rector, I think he might have been, at All, All Souls Church, Langham Place in London. He told a story of he once went to Wimbledon and he got to know someone who was you know, high up in the echelons there at Wimbledon. And this person just ushered them through the door, right through the corridors, into centre court. Could have been the royal box, who knows? Because he knew someone. We know someone who can open doors for you. Jesus said, ask, you will receive. Seek, you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. What door do we need to knock on? What door, brother, sister, do you need to be knocking on now in hope, in faith, that it'll open? Because you know someone. You know someone who can open doors. He gives us authority. We pray in his name. And then finally, the fact it was his name affected our and his reputation. God allowed the fortunes of his name to be associated with his people. I don't get this. Let me say that again. God allowed... The fortune, his reputation, the fortunes of his name to be associated with his people. For some reason, God trusts us to uphold his name in the world. The name of God at this time is it's not high on the agenda for a lot of people. The name of God Almighty, the name of the Bible is not honoured in the nation. I think he wants it to be. I think scripture teaches us that he wants his name honoured. And here's the, here's the crazy thing. He stakes his reputation on us primarily, his people, just like he did with Israel. And there were times, and this encourages me, when he stepped in to do something about that. Ezekiel prophesies the return from exile of God's people. They were in exile at a later time in their history. And he prophesies the return. And God says this, Therefore, through Ezekiel, say to the Israelites, This is what the sovereign Lord says. It's not for your sake, people of Israel, that I'm going to do these things, bring them back from exile. But for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned, let be dragged through the mud among the nations when, where you have gone because God's people had turned from him and that's why he let them go into exile. 
I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations. Hey, listen, is that true? Is the name of God profaned among the nations? Is it profaned in our nation? What do we, what do, we do with that? Do we just go, people don't like God, people don't like the Bible? Or do we go, God, look, you want to honor your name. And so he says, I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord. I believe in my whole heart there's going to come a time when God is going to move in power, restore his name. He's not coming back. I've said it before. He's not coming back for a haggard, you know, shell suit, fag smoking, gin swilling bride. He's coming back for a glorious bride. That's us. I think he's going to restore his name before he returns. I just, what, does it, what would it say about Jesus if he comes back and it's like, oh, I couldn't do much with them, could I? He couldn't do much with Israel. But he says, the nations are going to know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. Now, we may have to put some things right before he can do that. We may have to seek him again like we've never sought him. But he can do that. He can establish his name. So in all this, I hope we see that we're to covet God's presence. We're to place him at the center. We are to have this place, this relationship where we meet with him. We're to guard, if you like, the sanctity of the ark. Time's going quickly, but I want to say this then. How do we begin to respond to this? In the next two or three weeks, we're going to look at some ways we can start to respond. Some ways we can start to meet with him. Some ways we can start to guard his presence and honor his presence and say to him, Lord, would you come and visit us again? What do we need to put right, Lord? So we'll start to look at that. But I want to say a couple of things just to finish. Firstly, you see, the problem was this. The ark had been neglected. The ark had been neglected. David realized that had been the case. In 1 Chronicles 13 there, he says, we didn't inquire of it during the reign of Saul. If you know the story of Saul, you know that Saul was a man who just operated in his own strength. I'm not going to inquire of God. In fact, he got into real trouble for it. You know, he was a big guy, he was powerful, and he just kind of did things himself. Just as well, we're not like that. Doing things in our own strength, deciding we need to sort this out, not inquiring of the Lord. However, there were times when Israel understood that it had to cultivate this relationship with God if they were going to be blessed. It's really interesting in the account of the tabernacle being constructed in Exodus, the first instructions, other than there's some priestly routines here, but the first thing that was to be built was the ark. It wasn't the tent they were going to put him in, put the ark in. It wasn't, you know, the, the washing bowls or anything. It was the ark. In the same way, when the exiles returned, you can read this while I'm saying this, in the same way, when the exiles returned, to a broken down Jerusalem where the temple had been raised to the ground, they didn't go, we need to protect ourselves, let's build the walls. 
Nehemiah came later and did that. Under Ezra, the first thing they put right was the altar. Now, they'd actually lost the ark. The ark was no longer around. But they attended to that place of meeting with God. They built the altar. They understood the spiritual condition of our nation. Sorry, the, the, the condition of our nation is going to be shaped by its spiritual condition first. And so we need to get this relationship with God right. If we do that, there is glory. If we will attend to the presence of God in our lives, if we will attend, call him, say, Lord, I need you in my life. I need to be meeting with you. I'm going through stuff at the moment. Lord, I need to hear from you. If we will do that, there is glory. Really interesting. The culmination of the preparation of the tabernacle, the tent, it's set up. They get everything right. They put everything in place. What happens? Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the temple, tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. There's been times in history when God has moved and his people have met with his tangible glory and it's changed them. And maybe you've had experiences like that where you know you've met with God. It's wonderful when we hear from God. It's wonderful when we have a sense of leading. It's wonderful when brothers and sisters bless us. We were blessed, Ali and I, last night. Friends just blessed us. But I tell you what, encountering God and his glory by his spirit ruins you. Ruins you. I feel... For myself personally, I just pray. There's been times I've known that. I've, I've met with God like I know I've met with God. It's not happened for a long time. But I just wonder, God, are you stirring something in me? And maybe he might stir something in all of us. There's been times we've met with him and we've been changed. Seasons, they call it, we call it renewal. Times of refreshing from the Lord. I think, I think our church is blessed. I think, you know, we're doing our best in all sorts of ways. But God, if you would move in renewal, if you transform us, meet with us. This is what happened when the temple was complete under Solomon. When the priests withdrew from the holy place after everything had been put in place, the cloud filled the temple, I love this, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled his temple. When God is present in that way among us, I'm not just talking about a Sunday, you understand that. I'm talking about God moving when we're talking with one another, when we just begin to sense God's here. He's saying stuff. Let's pray. Let me pray for you. You're sick. Let me pray for healing in Jesus' name. When God begins to move like that, here's a wonderful thing. I think it's no performance Christianity. See, so much of our Christianity, isn't it? It's, it's a, I said it at the start. It's a bit of a, we can put up a facade, can't we? How are you doing? Yeah, I'm all right, thanks. 
and we just don't like if you only knew what was going on but I just haven't got the time to tell you and will you care anyway and when God's there it's just like tears we just can't help it we just you know this is going on in my life I can't hold it back no performance Christianity when God moves like this I think passages like this hold out hope that if we'll be a people that seek to get right with him, honour him, he may move. I've felt for a long time, and I realise this is opinion, but it's, it's a prayerful opinion. I've felt that we, we have a church in the West, the UK, let's say. We've never had as much information. We've never had as much technology. We've never had the ability to plan and organise as we have now. And that is all good. But I'm not sure we're seeing the nation changed in the way we might. And I've felt for a long time, I don't think it's about those things alone. I think it's about God's people getting right with God. Judgment, discipline, refining begins in the house of the Lord, says Peter. So maybe we need to put some stuff right. We need to seek him. You understand, I'm not, I'm not saying we're all rampant sinners living debauched lives. If that is you, though, do come and talk about that, okay? Just come and have a word, because let's talk about that. But we do need to seek him. We may need to seek him like we've never sought him for the sake of the world. I was going to talk about the fact that the ark was nomadic. It was portable. But it wasn't like Israel could shape where the ark went. They just pick it up and move it about where they wanted it in the desert. No, no, no. They were following its lead. And so with us. Jonathan Edwards said this, the task of every nation, generation, is to discover in which direction the sovereign redeemer is moving and then move in that direction. And I think what I'm encouraging us to do through this series is ask, Lord, what are you doing in my life? What are you saying to me at this moment? And then to follow. And then to follow his lead. And we need to be doing that as a church. Lord, what are you doing? Where are you heading? And then follow. And I would say, I think a number of us amongst the leadership have had a sense. He's only showing us at present step by step. We might want it to be two, three years down the line and have it all mapped out and sorted. <laughs> I just don't. I think there's been times in the past where we've had a bit of that just don't think he's doing that now I think there's a lot of questions for us that we need to take step by step Lord what are you doing what are you saying about this now okay so to wrap up this idea of the ark this idea of an altar this place where you meet with God what does that look like at the moment has that place become a bit neglected as things got on top of us it's a bit overgrown Jesus said didn't he about the weeds growing up and the thorns well we can do something about that we can take a hatchet we can start pruning we can start cutting back we can start cleaning things up is that us or maybe just maybe it did occur to me we might and to be honest I quite like the idea of this sort of altar where everything's in its place. It's so tidy. 
Is that what you're trying to do with your life with God? Make it ordered, tidy. Everything has a place. All shined up, all nice. People look and go, wow, they got it together. Maybe there's a few idols in there. Maybe we're seeking after a few things that shouldn't be there. I'll tell you what, I'd love that sort of thing at the moment, to be frank. But I just think our walk with God is messier than that. Or is your altar, and I think this is an altar, is it pretty simple, actually, and hopefully authentic? You kind of, you're coming to a greater understanding of who you are in God. Hopefully you're becoming more comfortable in your own skin. He's always about restoration, isn't he? Whatever age we are, it amazes me. amazes me. Some of us, you know, in our 80s, God's still got things he's working on. Who knew? I thought I'd have it sorted by my 40s. But we're letting him restore. We're letting him go to work. It will create mess as you lay down your life, as you pay the cost, as you make those sacrifices. It will cost, but the altar will be authentic. And I believe God will be pleased to consume the offering. So I don't know, James, whether we managed to get 2 Chronicles 7.14. Is it on this PowerPoint or is it? So to finish, and Jeff, yourself, Mel, and Mike want to come back up. This, this may be quite significant for us at this time. I don't, know, I don't know how we roll this out. I'm not saying here's a plan, here's a strategy. I was just felt this laid on my heart. God tells us that if my people, who are called by my name, we have his name, we bear his name, what do we have to do? think we need to humble ourselves for the sake of this nation, for the sake of our kids. Folks, with all my heart, I want to say to you, our nation needs this. It needs the gospel. If you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. I don't believe, I think there are great signs, there are good things happening all over the world and in our nation as well. But I don't think the nation's being transformed as God would like. I don't think these worldviews that are out there, these strongholds, please him. I don't think the fact our kids go into schools where they are taught falsehood pleases him. This foolishness. We used to sing a song, didn't we? Watching while insanity dies. Let's not stand by and watch. If my people who are called by my name and whatever this looks like, will humble themselves and pray. This is the answer right here. Whatever strategies we come up with, whatever programs, and pray. God says this. If you'll pray, if we'll seek his face, please, God, let's not be apathetic. Whatever else we are, let's be incompetent. I'm happy to be incompetent. In fact, I'll say more than that, I am incompetent. I'm happy to be incompetent. I'm happy to make mistakes. I'm happy to experiment and mess up. But don't let me be apathetic and not seek you. 
and turn from our wicked ways. Ah. And we know we can because Jesus washes it clean. God says, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. And this is wonderful. Lord, if you would do this. And I will heal the land. Our nation needs healing. Make no bones about it. Let's not bury our heads. Let's not be ostrich Christians that bury our heads in a nice church. And we thank God for one another, don't you? Don't you thank God for some of the families? Don't you thank God we're employing good people? And we've got, you know, good teams and seniors meeting together and all that. I thank God for all of that. But our nation needs healing. Don't just let us draw up the ramparts and stay safe here until Jesus comes to airlift us out. God, would you move in our land?